ஜீவ அருணாச்சல ஜீவ அருணாச்சல கண்ணுக்கு சன்னால் கண்ணிந்தி காணுமையே காணுவர் பார் Namaskaram. Uh, that was uh, Sadhu Om singing verse 15 of Sri Arunacha Aksharam Anamalai, which is the verse I'm going to be talking about today. <coughs> um, <clears throat> this is a verse which is in which Bhagavan has packed so much very deep um, uh, meaning and implication. So this is a uh, <clears throat> this is an extremely important verse and a verse from which we can learn a lot so um <clears throat> uh, as some of you may have seen i've written an article on this and it's longer than the usual articles i've written because there's just so much in this verse so much not only there's a meaning and also underlying the meaning there's so much implication also and it touches upon the very heart of bhagavan's teachings um but it requires some explanation and because it's a very deep verse um it's possibly a more suitable verse to write about than to talk about um because it's um it may sometimes be a little bit difficult to follow but i'll try to uh, speak clearly and to explain as i go along um <clears throat> the meaning of the, the, the verses kannuku kannai kanindri kanune kanuva devapa arunachala uh, the meaning of that is arunachala who can see you who being the eye to the eyes sees without eyes see um so uh but the, the, the <coughs> the word but um he bhagwan repeats three times is uh kan uh kan means eye that is the organ of sight um and kanaku is the locative or seventh case singular form of it so it means two eye or four eye um uh kanaku kanai uh uh i is an adverbial participle that means being or it can also uh, mean as so kanaku kanai means being the i to or for the i or uh, as the i to or for the i <clears throat> the i to which arunachala is the i is the mind or ego which is the i that sees the world through the uh bodily eye and other uh senses that is bhagavan is using word here eye in a metaphorical sense um to understand that this is what bhagavan means here um consider the fact that a telescope is an eye through which we can see distant objects and a microscope is an eye through which we can see minute objects but neither of these artificial eyes can actually see anything because they are jada devoid of awareness what sees through them is the eye of flesh the bodily organ of sight so this eye of flesh is the eye to all other artificial eyes such as telescopes or microscopes 
However, even the eye of flesh and other sense organs do not actually see or perceive anything because they are also jada, just like a telescope or microscope. What sees the physical world through the eyes and other sense organs is only the mind. So even though the eyes are open, if the mind is not looking through them, whether because it is asleep or preoccupied with other thoughts or uh, looking within or for any other reason, they do not see anything. Only when the mind is looking out through them is there anything seen through them. And likewise with the other sense organs. So the mind is the eye to the eyes, the ear to the ears, and so on. <clears throat> Since all objects of sight, sight and other sense impressions are known only by the mind, they seem to exist only in its view. So they do not exist independent of it, as Bhagavan says in verse 6 of Uludunapadu. The meaning of verse 6 is... Um, the world is a form of five sense impressions. That means five kinds of sense impressions, sights, sounds, uh, um, tastes, smells, and tactile sensations. They're Andrew, not anything else. That is, if, if we remove all sights, sounds, tastes, smells, and tactile sensations, where is there any such, such thing as the world? What we know as the world is only these, a, a combination of these five kinds of sense impressions. Um, so, as I say, Bhagavan says, the world is a form of five sense impressions, not anything else. Those five sense impressions are impressions to the five sense organs. Since the mind alone perceives the world by way of the five sense organs, is there a world besides the mind, say? Um, besides means uh, excluding, if not for, apart from, other than, or without. So without a mind, is there any such thing as the world? In other words, well, that's a rhetorical question. The implication is there's no world without the mind because the world doesn't actually exist. It merely seems to exist. And it seems to exist only in the view of the mind. Um, since the five sense organs are part of the physical body, which is itself a part of the physical world, and since they seem to exist only in the view of the mind, like the rest of the world, they do not exist independent of the mind. Like all other objects of knowledge, they are jada, devoid of awareness, so they do not know anything, and hence they are merely the windows through which the mind perceives the rest of the, world, of the physical world. This is why Bhagavan describes uh, the mind as binadiya uh, bilakum kanadiya porikum kan. The eye, two or four, the sense organs beginning with eyes, which illumine what begins with uh, space, uh, namely the physical world, which is composed of the five elements, space, air, fire, water and earth. Uh, that's how Bhagavan describes it in verse 5 of um, of Anma Bide. Uh, because that verse is very closely related to this verse of Akshramma, I will read the, the meaning of it. What, what Bhagavan says in this verse is, in the heart that investigates within, as it is without thinking of anything other, uh, oneself, who is called Anamalai, the one substance, 
which shines as the eye to the mind eye, which is the eye to the sense organs beginning with eyes, which illumine what begins with uh, space, and as the space to the mind space will certainly be seen. Uh, Aralambename, grace is also necessary. Ambupuname, be adorned with love. Uh, that is in order to, um, in order to, the grace is ever present, but in order to be benefited by the grace, we must have all consuming love. Uh, and that love, of course, is given by grace. Um, uh, Imbutoname, happiness will certainly appear. So if we, if, um, if we, if by his grace we develop love for him in our heart, um, and therefore yield ourselves to his grace, then happiness will appear is the implication. Um, the mind is able to perceive the world through the windows of the eyes and other sense organs because it is endowed with awareness. However, it is not real awareness, chit, but only a semblance of awareness, chidabasa, because real awareness is not aware of anything other than what actually exists, namely itself. Since the nature of the mind is to always know itself as I am this body, and consequently to know the appearance of numerous other objects which do not actually exist, but merely seem to exist in its view, it is an awareness that knows what does not exist as if it existed. So it is not real awareness, even though it seems to be so. The awareness that is called mind or ego, therefore, is like the light of the moon. The moon does not have any light of its own, but since it reflects the light of the sun, it seems to be luminous, and by its reflected light, it illumines other things in the darkness of night. Likewise, the mind does not have any light of its own, but since it reflects the light of pure awareness, it seems to shine as awareness, and by its reflected light of awareness, it uh, illumines uh, and knows the appearance of vishayas, objects or phenomena, in the darkness of its self-ignorance. That, that is uh, one thing I'll just, uh, one a small explanation I'll add, add here. The word chidabhasa is generally translated as uh, reflection of awareness, but actually abhasa in this context means a likeness or a semblance. Um, since when we look in a mirror, for example, what the face we see in the mirror is a, a likeness, it's not our face. We're not actually seeing our face in the mirror. We're seeing a likeness of our face or a semblance of our face in the mirror. So uh, <coughs> the word abasa also means reflection. So this uh, word chidabasa, it's used a lot in uh, Bhagavan's teachings and in um, Advaita uh, philosophy more generally. And <laughs> sorry, um, and as I say, it's generally translated as a reflection of um, of consciousness. That is one meaning of it. But the the more um, that is the the, pri the primary meaning of chitabasa is a likeness, and reflection is a secondary meaning of it. So, yes, it is a reflection. I mean, we can consider it a reflection. Often this 
analogy of the moonlight is used as an analogy for the mind because the moonlight is not moon doesn't have any light of its own but it reflects the light of the sun likewise mind does not have any light of its own but it reflects the light of pure awareness so chidabhasa means both uh semblance of awareness that means it's not the real awareness it's only a likeness just like our the face we see in the mirror is not our real face it's just a a likeness or an image of our face um uh, so, um so so the mind is likewise not the real awareness it's just a likeness or a semblance of awareness um since the mind is able to perceive the world through the eyes and other sense organs only because it is endowed with a semblance of awareness, and since it is endowed with such awareness only because it is illumined by the original light of pure awareness, which is Aranachala, he describes Aranachala, Anamalai, in the above verse as um, Vinadia Vilakum Kannadia Poricum Kannam manakannakum kannai, manabindakum vinnai, olirum, oruporul, anamalai en anma. Uh, anamalai is another name for Aranachala, Tamil name for Aranachala. Uh, so that means atma, that, mean, that is oneself. In this context, it implies ourself as we actually are, in other words, our real nature. Uh, so uh, oneself, who, which is called anamalai, but one poral, the uh, poral is a Tamil word that Bhagavan uses a lot. Um, in a philosophical sense, it means it's it means more or less the same as the Sanskrit word vastu, that is uh, the one real substance or reality. So anamale, which is uh, sorry, uh, oneself, our real nature, which is called anamale, the one real substance, which shines as the eye to the mind eye which is the eye to the five sense organs beginning with eyes, which illumine uh, what begins with space, namely the world which is composed of the five elements, and as the space to the mind space. When he describes the eyes, the, the sense organs, as, uh, as illumining space, illumine in this context means they make it known. It's only without the five senses we wouldn't know the world. So they 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 are but uh, 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 as I said the windows through which we know the world. So in that sense they illumine the world. The real light that the, the, the light behind the senses is the mind. It's the mind that is illumining the, both the senses and the world. But the mind is illumined by the original light, which is Aranachala, uh, the, the light of pure awareness. What is ever shining in our heart as I. Um. So, uh, since the world seems to exist only in the view of the mind, just like the world we see in a dream, the space within which uh, physical space, Buddha-kasa, appears and is therefore contained is the mind space, the manakasa or chitta-kasa. Um, and since pure awareness alone is what actually exists, the mind cannot be anything other than pure awareness, just as an illusory snake is nothing other than a rope. So the space within which the mind space appears, albeit only in its own view, uh, um, and, and sorry, so the space within which the mind space appears, albeit only in its own view, and is therefore uh, contained, 
is the infinite space of pure awareness, uh, Chidakasa, which is Arunachala. This is why he describes Arunachala as mana bindakum bind, uh, the space two or four, the mind space. In other words, the space that contains the mind space, which contains the physical space. Likewise, since the light that illumines the appearance of the world is the semblance of awareness, Chidabasa, called mind or ego, just as the reflected light of a moon illumines objects uh, on earth in the darkness of night, he describes the mind as binadia bilakum kanadia porikum kan. That is the eye two or four the sense organs beginning with eyes, which illumine what begins with space. And since the light of awareness that illumines the mind, enabling it to know the appearance of the world through the eyes and other sense organs, is pure awareness, I am, which is what is called Arunachala. He describes Arunachala as Kannadiya uh, um, uh, Parikum, uh, kannam manakannakum uh, kannai, that is the eye to the mind eye, which is the eye to the senses beginning with eyes. When he describes the mind as kannadiya uh, parikum kann, am manakann, the mind eye, which is the eye two or four the sense organs beginning with sight, he implies that the mind is the eye or awareness that knows the world through the five sense organs. Um, through, yes, through the five senses, sense organs. Um, but when he says, atma, which is called anamalai, the one poral of one real substance, which shines as the eye to, to the mind eye, he does not intend to imply that Arunachala knows either the mind or the world through the mind, but only that Arunachala is the real eye or awareness, but lend it, its light to the mind, enabling it to know everything else. Um, this, this is an important point, so I'll explain it in more detail now. That is, all the phenomena that constitute the world are forms of one kind or another. And we can and we see forms only when we mistake ourselves to be one among them. In other words, only when we mistake ourselves to be a form do we take do we see other forms. As Bhagavan points out in verse four of Uludunapdu. Um, what he says in verse four is if oneself is a form, the world and God will be likewise. If oneself is not a form, who can see their forms? How? Can the seen be otherwise than the eye? The eye is oneself, the infinite eye. We seem to be a form only when we rise and stand as ego, the false awareness, I am this body. So the implication of the first sentence of this verse, Uruvam Tanayin, Uluhu Paramatran, if oneself is a form, the world and God will be likewise, is that whenever we rise and stand as ego, we consequently see the world and God as forms. Likewise, the implication of the rhetorical questions he asks in the next two sentences, Uruvam Tan Andrel, Uvatrin Uruvate Kanurudal Yavan Evan, 
that means if oneself is not a form, who can see their forms? How implying how to do so uh, is that whenever we do not rise and stand as ego, we cannot see any forms because the seer or, or, or knower of forms, namely ego, is then that is then is not then present. Thus, he points out a fundamental philosophical principle, namely that the nature of what is seen cannot be otherwise than the nature of what sees it. As he implies by asking rhetorically in the next sentence, Kannalal Kakshiondo. That means, uh, can, uh, can the seen be otherwise than the eye? Um, this sen particular sentence of uh, in, in verse 4 of Uludhunapadu is a very, very important sentence, but Bhagavan has used very simple language, to, but with a very deep implication. So, read superficially, what this uh, sentence seems to mean is, um, is there anything seen without an eye? But actually what Bhagavan meant, as he explained, is something much deeper than that. That is, it's not just that we can't see anything without an eye, but but what we see cannot be otherwise than the eye. That is, as is the nature of the eye, in other words, as is the nature of the seer, so is the nature of the seen. Um, here he uses the word kan, I, as a metaphor for awareness. So if the awareness that sees, sees itself as a form, as ego does, it will see only forms. Where if it's, whereas if it sees itself devoid of form, as pure awareness does, it will not see any forms, and hence it will see nothing other than itself. In other words, it will shine as one, undivided by the appearance of forms. Therefore, as he implies in the last sentence, kan adutan antimila kan, that means the eye is uh, oneself, the infinite eye. The real eye or awareness is only ourself as we actually are, namely as infinite and hence formless awareness. That is, all forms are finite. So being infinite, real awareness is devoid of forms, and hence it can never see any forms. Therefore, when he describes Arunachala as manakannakum kan, uh, the I for the mind eye, or I even for the mind eye, uh, in verse 5 of uh, Amavide, and as kannaku uh, kan, the eye to the eye in this 15th verse of Akshramlai, he does not mean either that Arunachala sees any forms, any objects or phenomena, or that it sees the mind, the subject or ego, the knower of all forms, but only that it is the original light of pure awareness, which is what illumines the mind, enabling it to see all forms. The fact that Aaron actually does not see either the mind or the world as anything other than itself is also implied in the next group of words in this verse of Akshramlai. Namely, kanindri kanune. Uh, that means you who you who sees without eyes. Uh, as we've seen, kan means I, and indri means without. So kanindri means without eye. Uh, 
or without eyes. Um, Khan is the root of a verb that means to see, but by poetic license, it's used here in the sense of the adjectival or relative participle kanum, um, which means uh, which sees or who sees. And unne is a um, is a poetic abbreviation of unne, uh, the accusative or second case form of the second person singular pronoun you. So kan unne means you who see. What then does he mean by saying that Aranatra sees without eyes? Firstly, seeing without eyes means seeing without any means or instrument of seeing. So how is such seeing possible? It would not be possible for anything other than Aranatra, but it is possible for him because he is the original eye, the eye that gives sight to the mind, which in turn gives sight to the eyes. Without the sight or awareness given to it by him, the mind could not see or know anything, uh, because it would be jada, devoid of awareness, uh, since it has no awareness of its own. Whatever awareness it seems to have uh, is awareness that it borrows from him, since he is the original light of awareness, which is what shines within the mind as its fundamental awareness, I am. Therefore, the mind, uh, which is what shines, so, sorry, therefore the mind does not shine by its own light, but only by his light, whereas he shines eternally by his own light, the light that is his own being, I am. So he never needs any light any other light to illumine himself or to see himself. In other words, he is self-shining, Swayam Prakasa, because he is the original light of pure awareness, which is the light that illumines the mind and all other lights, which are objects known by the mind. Therefore, he sees without eyes because he sees whatever there is to see by the light of his own being, Sat, which is pure awareness, Chit. Secondly, kanindri, without eyes, implies not only without physical eyes or other sense organs, but also without any mind, which is the eye that sees the appearance of the physical world through the eye and other sense organs. Since Arunacha does not have eyes of any kind other than himself, in what sense it is, is it said that he sees? Since he does not see with physical eyes or other sense organs, he does not see any physical forms of ph phenomena. And since he does not see with the mind eye, that is the eye that is called mind or ego, um, he does not see any mental forms of phenomena. In other words, he does not see forms of phenomena of any kind whatsoever, nor does he see the mind which is what sees all forms of phenomena, because the mind or ego is just the false awareness, I am this body, whereas Aranatra is the pure awareness, I am, which is always aware of itself as I am I, meaning that it is never aware of itself as anything other than itself. Since he sees without eyes of any kind other than pure awareness, what does he see? 
since he does not see either objects, forms or phenomena, or the subject, mind or ego, he sees nothing other than himself. However, since he alone is what actually exists, he sees all that there is to see, so he is all-seeing or all-knowing. Since nothing other than him actually exists, whatever else may seem to exist is just a false appearance, so it cannot actually be anything other than him. That is, he himself is what seems to be all other things, both the subject and all objects, just as a rope is what seems to be a snake. So long as we see a rope as a snake, we do not see it as it actually is. And when we see it as it actually is, namely as a rope, we will no, we will no longer see it as a snake. Likewise, so long as we see the one thing that actually exists, namely Arunachala, who is our own real nature, Abhmasarupa, as, as a multitude of forms or phenomena, objects or things known, and as the mind or ego, the subject or knower of such things, we do not see it as it actually is. And when we see it as it actually is, namely as the one infinite, eternal, immutable, and indivisible pure awareness I am, we will no longer see it as anything else. Since Aranacha does not see anything other than himself, his sight or awareness is always one and undivided, unlike the mind, whose sight or awareness is divide, always divided as the three elements known as triputi, namely itself as the seer or knower, pramata, whatever it sees or knows, pramaya, and the means, pramana, by which it sees or knows that thing. Being pure awareness, uh, Arunachala alone is both what knows and what it knows. And it itself is also the means by which it knows itself, uh, because it knows itself just by being itself, as Bhagavan points out in verse 26 of uh, Upadesh Undia. Tanai iritale tanai aridlam tane rendatradal. That means uh, being oneself alone is knowing oneself, Be uh, because oneself is devoid of two. That is, since Arunachala, who is Atmaswarupa, the real nature of ourself, is immutably and indivisibly one, he can be, never be divided as two things, one as a subject to know the other as an object. So he does not see or know himself as an object, but as himself alone. And since he is pure awareness, being aware of himself is his very nature, so he sees himself merely by being himself. And hence, he does not need any means or instruments, pramana, other than himself to see himself. This is why Bhagavan says that he sees kanindri without eyes. Uh, and the eye is a means by, or instrument by which we see things other than ourselves. But being pure awareness, Arunachya does not need any eye other than himself to see himself, nor does he need any eye to see anything other than himself, because there's nothing other than himself for him to see, since he alone is what actually exists. <clears throat> Although he never sees anything other than himself, he 
himself is what seems in the ignorant, self-ignorant view of ourself as mind or ego to be all other things. So he, so he is actually seeing all other things merely by seeing himself as he actually is. That is, though he does not see the appearance of anything else, he sees the reality of everything else because he sees everything else as it actually is, namely as himself, the one infinite uh, and indivisible whole. This is what Bhagavan often used to describe as seeing without seeing or knowing without knowing, because by always seeing the one uh, reality of everything without ever seeing the appearance of multiplicity, our naturalist sees everything without seeing anything. In this sense, therefore, he is omniscient. He knows us and everything else infinitely better than we can know ourselves, because whereas we know ourselves as an object knowing innumerable sub uh, sorry, as a subject knowing innumerable objects, he knows us as we actually are, namely as himself, the one thing that alone actually exists. When we as mind or ego know any object or phenomenon, our knowing it is a mental activity, an action of knowing. So uh, mental activity or thought is the eye or means by which we can see or know uh, things other than ourselves. Without such an eye, that is without any thought or mental activity, we cannot see or know anything other than ourselves. But Aranatcha sees everything without any such eye. In other words, for us as mind, seeing or knowing is an action or doing, whereas he sees everything without <clears throat> doing anything, but just by being as he is. How is this so? Since he alone is what actually exists, his existence alone is real existence. The existence of the mind and all other things is not real, but just an appearance, a semi-existence, because they borrow their semi-existence uh, from his real existence or being, which is their source and substance, just as an illusory snake borrows its semi-existence from the relatively more real existence of a rope, it's, which is its source and substance, or as gold ornaments borrow their semi-existence from a relatively more real uh, existence of gold, their source and substance. <clears throat> Why is it said that Arunachala alone actually exists? For the simple reason that without that what actually exists must also always exist. And since he is Atmasarupa, the real nature of ourself, which is what shines eternally and immutably as our fundamental awareness, I am, he alone is what always actually exists. As Bhagavan often explained, whatever exists at one time, but not at another time, does not actually exist, even when it seems to exist. Why? Because whenever... But, but, sorry, because whatever comes into existence or ceases to exist is not intrinsically existent, since existence is something that it gains and loses. Since it gains existence at one time and loses it at another time, 
it must derive its seeming existence from <clears throat> it must derive its seeming existence from something other than itself. So its existence is just a derived or borrowed existence, not an existence that belongs intrinsically to itself. Therefore, since it has no existence of its own, it does not actually exist even when it seems to exist. This is why Bhagavan Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 2, verse 16, that there is no existence for what does not exist and no non-existence for what does exist, thereby implying that what does not ex actually exist can never come into existence and what uh, does actually exist can never cease to exist. So whatever seems to exist, seems to come into existence or to cease to exist, does not actually exist even when it seems to exist. This is one of the key principles of Advaita and of Bhagavan's, uh, Bhagavan Ramana's teachings. So he translated this verse into Tamil as verse 9 of uh, Bhagavad Gita Saram. Uh, but what this verse means is, um, for what does not exist, there is no existence. For what does exist, there is not what is called non-existence. Therefore, those who have seen that this itself is the nature of the two called what does, ex what does not exist and what does exist are ascetics who have known the reality. Um, if we slightly expand that, for Iladadu, uh, what does not exist, there is no existence at any time. That is the implication. If, when, when he, what Krishna says is, for what does not exist, there is no existence. That means what, at no time does what does not exist ever exist. And the, the second sentence, for Ulladu, what does exist, there is not at any time what is called non-existence. That implies what actually exists cannot ever cease to exist. Um, uh, so it, 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 at no time does it ever not, uh, not exist. Therefore, those who have seen that this is the nature of the two called what does not exist and what exists are ascetics who have known the reality. Uh, or who have known themselves for reality. We can also take it in that way. <coughs> um, in Tamil, it's, uh, uh, the Tanne, we can take it themselves, or we can just take it as a, as, as a, as a suffix to the, uh, the, the previous word, uh, may, which means real. Um, if something seems to exist at one time and not at another time, its existence and its non-existence are a pair of opposites. So like all pairs of opposites, they are not real, and hence they seem to exist only in the view of ourself as mind or ego. However, as pointed out in this verse, for what actually exists, Uladu, there's no such thing as non-existence. So it tra transcends all such pairs of opposites. And hence, it is the existence that is beyond both existence and non-existence. In other words, it is absolute, unconditional, and unqualified existence. This absolute existence is what is called Aranachala. And since it alone is what actually exists, there cannot be any awareness other than it to know it. So it itself is awareness, as Bhagavan points out in verse 23 of Upadesha Undiya.
what he says in verse 23 is, because of the non-existence of any awareness other than what exists, to be aware of what exists, what exists, Uladu, is awareness, Unabu. And then he concludes the verse by saying, awareness alone exists as we. That implies that uh, uh, the one awareness that actually exists, namely pure awareness, which is awareness that is aware of nothing other than itself, is what we actually are. That's the implication of that uh, um, uh, last sentence of verse 23 of Rupadeshundia. <clears throat> if awareness were other than what exists, it would be a non-existent awareness and hence no awareness at all. Likewise, if what exists were other than awareness, it would not shine or be known because it would not know itself and there could not be any awareness other than, other than it to, to know it. Therefore, what exists is awareness. So it exists and shines by the light that is itself, its own being. <clears throat> Uh, what exists, therefore, must always exist, uh, which means not only that it must exist at all times, but more importantly, that it must exist whether or not time seems to exist, because it must exist independent of the appearance or disappearance of time. It must also be immutable, because whatever changes or is liable to change um, would not be exactly the same thing after it changes as it was before it changed. And finally, it must be self-shining, Swayam Prakasha, which means that it must shine by the light of its own being, which is awareness. The, <clears throat> the only thing that uh, meets each of these three criteria, eternal, unchanging, and self-shining, is our own being, I am, which is what is called our natural. Uh, everything else is impermanent, uh, liable to change, and shines only in the view of the mind, which itself shines only by the light of awareness that it borrows from I am. In the absence of the mind, as in sleep, nothing other than I am exists or shines, so everything else depends for its semi-existence upon the mind, in whose view alone it seems to exist. And the mind depends for its semi-existence and awareness upon the one real existence awareness, Satchit, namely Arunachala, who exists and shines eternally and immutably by his own light as I am. Since Arunachala alone exists, there is no existence other than him. So what seems to be the existence of other things is actually only his existence. Therefore, he alone is what exists and shines in the view of the mind as all other things. So since he knows himself just by being himself, he knows everything just by being himself. It is only in this sense that he is described as Sarvasakshi, the witness of all, and Jiva Shakshi, the witness of Jiva, namely our self as mind or ego. Uh, um, as, as Bhagavan explained, when God is said to be Sakshi, the witness, Sakshi means sanadi, presence. Since his presence is his being or existence, this means that when, when terms such as Sava Sakshi and Jiva Sakshi are applied to God, they imply that he is the one real existence, Sat or Uladu, that appears as the semi-existence 
of Jiva and everything else. Um, therefore, uh, these terms are not intended to imply that he knows the appearance of anything else, because the appearance of anything else, of anything is unreal, and therefore does not exist in his view. But only that he knows his own existence just by being that. This is why Bhagavan says, "Kanindri kanune, uh, uh, you who sees without eyes, because without ever seeing the appearance of anything, which is unreal." He sees the actual existence of everything, which alone is real, just by being as he always is. <clears throat> In verse 13, Bhagavan asked rhetorically, uh, Arunachala, um, substance or reality or import or referent of Omkara, uh, sacred syllable Om, you for whom there is not uh, anything or anyone equal or similar or superior, who can know you? Uh, thereby implying that no one other than himself can know him as he actually is. And likewise, in this 15th verse, he asks rhetorically, Kannuku kannai kanindri kanune kanu vadeva. Who can see you? Who, being the eye to the eye, sees without eyes, thereby implying that no one other than himself can see him as he actually is, because he alone is what actually exists. So in these two verses, in, in verse 13, he asks, who, who can know you? In this verse, he asks, who can see you? In both cases, he's implying but other than himself, no one can know him as he actually is, uh, because he alone is what actually exists. Um, Karnuvadu is a participial noun that means seeing, and ever is an interrogative uh, pronoun that means which person, uh, which people, or who. So, une karnuvadeva literally means seeing you who, which implies who can see you. In this context, see you implies see you as you actually are. And since this question is rhetorical, it implies that no one other than Arunachala can see him as he actually is. What he actually is, is pure awareness. Or as Murugan expresses it in his commentary on this verse, Suddha Chaitanya Sarupam, uh, which means uh, that whose very nature is pure awareness, or it can also mean our own real nature, which is pure awareness, so he cannot be known as he actually is by anything other than himself, because pure awareness can never be an object of awareness. That is, it cannot be an object known by the mind or ego. So we can know it uh, only by being it, and by being it, we cease to be mind or ego and remain as we actually are, which is Arunachala. So what knows him is only he himself. Um, uh, one comment I want I want to add here. I was thinking about it earlier. That is, when we read this verse very carefully and think very carefully about its meaning, like all of Bhagavan's teachings, it has tremendous power to turn our attention back to ourselves, to remind us of our own being, to remind us of our nature, who's shining in our heart as 
uh, the eye to remind I, uh, uh, that Vashani in our heart as I, as, as, as I am, as our own being, uh, illumining our mind. Um, so when we read these verses, it's, it's, and think about it deeply, it's, um, our attention is automatically pushed back within. Um, that's, that's just an aside I wanted to mention. Um, since he is Atmosvarupa, the real nature of ourself, if we want to see him as he actually is, we must try to see ourselves as we actually are. But since we seem to be ego or mind, only so long as we are seeing things other than ourselves, if we turn back within keenly enough to see what we actually are, we will thereby subside and dissolve back into the source from which we rose, namely our natural. Uh, sunlight reflected from a mirror can be useful for seeing objects inside a dark cave. But instead of directing the reflected light into the cave to see other things, if we direct it back towards the sun, uh, the source from which it originated, what will happen to it? It will be swallowed by the bright light of the sun, thereby losing itself in its source. Likewise, the reflected light of awareness called mind or ego may seem to be useful for knowing the appearance of other things in the darkness of its self-ignorance, but instead of directing this reflected light outwards to see other things, if we direct it back within, uh, within ourselves to see the source from which it originated, it will be swallowed by the bright light of pure awareness, thereby losing itself in its source. In other words, if we try to see Arunachala as he actually is, shining in our heart of the light of pure awareness, which illumines us as mind, enabling us to know other things, we will thereby be swallowed by him, dissolving in him forever. Being swallowed by him in this way alone is truly seeing him as he actually is. As Bhagavan implies in the final two sentences of verse 21 of Uludhunapdu, uh, in which he asks, Talevan karnal evan. How to see God? Unadal Khan, becoming food is seeing. That implies only when we are swallowed by him are we truly seeing him. And as he explains in more detail in the next verse, namely verse 22, this verse 22 of Bolutnapti is a very, well, all the verses, all, all Bhagavan verses are very beautiful, but this is, um, this is a very special verse. What he says in this verse is, um, Matiku oli tandu, amatikul olirum matiene ulle madaki, patil paditidatalandri, patie matial maditidatal engun mati. That means, except by turning the mind back within, completely immersing it in God, who shines within that mind, giving light to the mind, how to fathom God by the mind, consider. This is a rhetorical question, but the, the obvious implication of this rhetorical question is that we cannot fathom, or we fathom here means to investigate and know God by the mind, except by turning the mind back within. Why? Because God is the light that is shining within the mind, illumining the mind, giving light to the mind. So it's, to know him, we have to turn back within and uh, immerse ourselves in that light. That is, that is God, that is the Lord. Um, therefore, 
in order to see our nature as he actually is, we need to lose ourselves completely and forever in him. So what ends up seeing him is only himself, who is eternally seeing himself, and not us as the mind or ego who set out to see him. In other words, we can see him as he actually is only by being as he actually is. And we, uh, and we cannot be as he actually is without ceasing to rise as ego. Hence, in order to see him as he, as he actually is, we must be wholeheartedly willing to surrender ourselves entirely to him. Since our nature as ego is to always seek happiness in things other than ourselves, as ego we are perpetually plagued by likes, dislikes, desires and attachments for other things. So we will not be wholeheartedly willing to surrender ourselves entirely to him until we have all-consuming love uh, for him as he actually is, namely as our own real nature, Masarupa, which is pure awareness. From where can such all-consuming love for him come? It cannot come from us as ego, uh, because as ego, our nature is to always desire things other than ourself, whereas he is not anything other than ourself, but only ourself as we actually are. Therefore, all-consuming love for him can come only from him, unless and until he looks at us with his eye of grace, thereby giving us the all-consuming love that is required for us to look within to see ourselves as he sees us, namely as himself alone, which is what we always actually are, we will never be willing to give up all desire for other things, uh, uh, for things for anything other than ourselves, and thereby surrender ourselves entirely to him. That is, to put it briefly, the love to surrender ourselves to him has to come from him because the very nature of the mind is to like to go outwards. So the liking to go within can come only from within, from our real nature, which is our natural. Um, that is why Bhagavan ends this, this verse with a single word of prayer, prayer, pa, which means see or look, and which in this context implies see me or look at me. Only by our natural looking at us uh, can we look at him and see him as he actually is, namely as our own being, I am. Just as the reflection of our face in a mirror cannot look at us unless we look at it, we cannot look at our natural unless he looks at us, because he is the one real awareness of which we as ego or mind are just a reflection. Our looking at our reflection is itself our reflection looking at us. Likewise, his looking at us is itself our looking at him. These are not two separate actions, but one and the same. However, since he alone is real awareness, whereas we as ego are just a semblance of awareness, he alone has the power to make us look at him, and we have no power of our own to make him look at us. The only power by which we can make him look at us is the power of wholehearted and all-consuming love for him. But such love can be given only by him, because the nature of ourself as ego is to love uh, things other than ourself, but not to love our own reality, which is our natural, the one infinite existence awareness, such it, which 
shines eternally in our heart as our own being, I am. This analogy of our having to look at our reflection in a mirror in order for it to look at us is useful to illustrate why he must look at us in order for us to look at him. But like all analogies, it has its limitations. One of these is that though the reflection of our face in a mirror can look here or there, depending, of course, on where we look, it cannot see anything because it is jada, devoid of awareness. Whereas the mind is a reflection, but not only looks at things, but also sees them because it is a form of awareness, albeit not awareness as it actually is. Whereas our face and its reflection in a mirror are two distinct things, pure awareness of the mind are not distinct in the same way, because though they are distinct in appearance, they are not distinct in substance. Just as a rope and the snake, it seems to be, are distinct in appearance, but not in substance. That is, pure awareness, which is our natural, is what is always shining in the mind, illumining it, and thereby uh, uh, enabling it to be aware of itself and other things. Therefore, if the mind looks within itself to see the source from which it derives its light of awareness, it will, it will merge and dissolve forever in its source, uh, namely pure awareness, uh, because it has never actually, uh, because it has, because it was never actually anything other than that just as a seeming snake was never actually anything other than the rope. Whatever we may be doing or experiencing, or whatever may be the state of our mind, our natural is always shining clearly within us as our own being and awareness, I am. So by his infinite grace, he is always making himself freely and easily available to us. All we need uh, to do uh, to turn our attention, uh, all we need to do is to turn our attention back towards him, to gaze at him with adoration. Uh, however, though he is always so easily available to us, we generally fail to pay heed to his presence in our heart because we are more interested in other things than we are in him. What we require, therefore, is heart-melting love to look at him and thereby see him as he actually is. And his giving such love uh, 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 is his looking at us with his eye of grace. Uh, this, is, this is therefore what Bhagavan is teaching us to pray for in this verse. The eye by which we can see our natural is the same eye by which he sees us, namely our own being because our being or existence is nothing other than his being or existence, which is the one real awareness that shines eternally as I am. This alone is the real heart, the place where he and we are always one and inseparable. Therefore, we can see him as he actually is only by turning our entire attention back within and thereby sinking deep into the heart, our own being where he is always waiting to embrace and devour us completely. However, to turn and sink back with, within in this manner requires all-consuming love for him and consequent willingness on our part to surrender ourselves wholly to him. He alone can give us such love, 
and his giving it to us is what is otherwise described as him looking at us with his eye of grace. In the clear view of our nature, we are never anything other than him. So there is never a moment when he does not see us as himself. But so long as we rise as ego, we are constantly looking away from ourselves at other things. So we cannot see that he is always in our heart, seeing us as we actually are. Therefore, though he is always seeing us, since we are not seeing him but looking elsewhere, it seems to us that he is not seeing us but looking elsewhere. So we pray to him to see us with the eye of his grace. Since he is always seeing us, how can he answer this prayer of ours to see us? What can he do that he, that he is not always doing? In order to answer this prayer of ours, all he need do is to draw our mind back within to see him as he, as he actually is, shining eternally in our heart of pure awareness, which is our own being. Because only then will, because only when we see him thus, will we see that he is always seeing us as we actually are, namely as himself. So how is he to draw our mind back within to see him as he actually is? He, did, he does this by sowing and nurturing the seed of love for him in our heart, because it is only when such love becomes all-consuming, melting our heart like sunlight melting ice, that we will finally be willing to give up everything else and surrender ourselves entirely to him by turning our entire attention back within uh, to see him shining in our heart as ourself. His sowing and nurturing such all-consuming love in our heart is therefore the ultimate act of grace, our old sale. So from the perspective of ourself as his devotee, this is what we see as him seeing us with his eye of grace. Though he is always seeing us, we cannot experience the full benefit of his seeing us until we ourselves see him seeing us, because only then will we lose ourselves entirely in him, being swallowed by the, uh, by the light of his grace, the all-consuming light of pure awareness, which is always shining in our heart as our own being, I am. Therefore, what Bhagavan implies by this single word of prayer, pa, see or look, is that Aranatra should see us or look at us in such a way that we are made by him to see that he is always seeing us with his Arulkan, the eye of his grace, which is himself, the eye of pure awareness, which, being the eye to the eye, sees without eyes. So he's ever shiny in our heart as the, the light that, that is illumining our mind, the light of awareness that is illumining our mind to see other things. So instead of seeing other things, all we have to do is to turn our attention back within, away from all other things, to see the light that is ever shining in our heart as our own being. That light that is shining in our heart as our own being, that is our natural, that is Bhagavan, that is the eye to the eye, that is what is ever seeing us without eyes. So to see it, all we need to do is to look within. And by looking within, we lose ourselves in it. And Unadal Khan, as Bhagavan says in verse uh, uh, um, 21, Becoming food alone is seen. So only when he swallows us do we see that he is always seeing us. 
because he is our self and he is always seeing himself as as he actually is. Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Arnachala Ramanaya 